0: For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here and I'm going to be speaking on part of our series, as Rich said, Sustainable Power from Control to Freedom is my subject and I'm going to be basing it around Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 18. At this point in this Christian story, Jesus has ascended to heaven and he's told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take up the account at this point. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 18. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And that's as far as I want to go in that passage today. So today, as I said, I'm going to be talking about from control to freedom. Because in this series of sustainable power, we've been talking about obstacles that hinder the movement of God in our lives. And so one of the obstacles that we may face is this obstacle of control. Now, there's a difference, of course, between control, self-control, and out of control. Have you ever been in a situation, I wonder, where you feel as if things are out of control or even getting out of control? Well, I certainly have. I've been thinking about it a little bit. And I was in Kathmandu in Nepal a few years ago And I was due to catch a plane early in the morning and the taxi failed to turn up at where we were staying. So I walked down with my son, he was there at the time, walked down to the ring road which goes around the city and just hailed a passing taxi. It was about five o'clock in the morning and I was sort of sweating a bit because I thought we're going to miss the plane. So I foolishly said to the taxi driver, can you please hurry? That was a mistake. It was raining. And he put his foot down. And in Kathmandu, you have lots of stray dogs that just roam around the place. And I thought this. I thought, all it needs is a dog to just run out onto the road. And he hits the brakes, which are probably not very good anyway. And we're going to end up somersaulting down the ring road. So I said to him, please, can you slow down? Well, I'm here to tell the tale. So it was okay in the end. Have you ever seen somebody, a person who's out of control? Well, I've got an office upstairs, and I have to sadly say that I often see people out of control. Not in the office, I might hasten to add, but outside the office in Desborough Road. Even this week, there was a woman across the road. She was completely out of control, shouting and screaming. And uh, I kind of, you know, I'm, I have to say, we get used to this kind of thing in Desborough Road, but uh, it just kept going on. I looked out the window, and this lady was out of control. The previous week, there was another guy standing on the. Uh, street corner and he was he was out of control he was shouting abuse at any passerby and the police came and he moved on and you know out of control is not a good thing it's not a good thing to experience on the other hand have you ever exercised self control perhaps with your money you want to buy something but you really can't afford it so you wait until you can you stick to living within your budget you exercise self control it's a good thing have you have been out of control, on the other hand, financially? You know, where maybe you've been tempted to disregard income and expenditure, debts start piling up. It's easy then to ignore the realities of your financial situation. Well, I want to tell you this. If, if you're in that situation, there's help for you. We run Christians Against Poverty here, and if you get in touch with the church office, there'll be someone to help you. So self-control is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's an example of control in a bad sense. An extreme example would be modern slavery, where immigrants are put in poor accommodation, their passports are taken from them, they can never seem to pay off the debt to the person who brought them over there. Controlling wants to micromanage a person's behavior. Not for that person's good, but for the benefit of the person doing the controlling. So there's different types of control. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees tried to control Jesus. They tried to control the people by setting their petty rules and regulations that people had to adhere to. That was one of the things. And they were always on it, Jesus as well, about him, in their opinion, breaking the Sabbath. Because he would heal on the Sabbath, and they classified that as work. And Jesus was adamant that he was doing the work of God, which he was. So they were trying to control him as well, trying to control the people, religious control. And Jesus condemned the teachers of the law and the Pharisees because they just wanted to control the people and be looked up to. Today we see it in sects and cults, even controlling who someone can marry. Controlling others means someone is going to be hypercritical of who you are and what you do. Regardless of whether it's reasonable behavior on your part. You may be experiencing it even today. This may be part of your life or you may have experienced it in the past where someone has been over-controlling Your behavior and the things that you do, even though you're not really doing anything wrong, in their opinion you are. It's a dangerous and unhelpful place to be. Another way in which people seek to exercise control is through emotional blackmail. I don't know if you've ever done that yourself. I would guess that most of us have done this in in our life. We've tried to control someone using emotional blackmail. You probably don't remember doing it, probably because you're about two years old or even three years old, something like that, and you had a temper tantrum and you threw yourself on the floor and you started sobbing. Why did you do that? Because you wanted to control the reaction of the person who was in charge at that point. The other day I was in a supermarket and uh, that same thing was going on. It was a little boy, aged about two, two and a half And he was having a really big temper tantrum. Throwing himself on the floor. Really sobbing out of control. His mother was very patient with him. And uh, eventually they left the shop. And uh, trying to control people's behavior. I have to say as well, for those of you who um, have been watching the World Cup, we see it there as well. You know, the footballers, someone brushes against them. And what do they do? They collapse in agonies if they've been shot and roll around the ground. Why? Why? They're seeking to control what the referee does. It's all pretty insidious and deceptive. Control does not lead to freedom, but the opposite. It's oppressive, it's demeaning, it's deceptive, it's very ungodly. Now, what about us and God? Does God want to control us any way he can? Is that his aim? Is that his purpose? Is that his desire? That God is out to control you. Well, the point I want to make, I want to make two points. But the first one I want to make is this. And I think it's so important. God desires willing partners. God desires willing partners. That's what he's looking for. When the day of Pentecost came, verse 1 of what I read, they were all together in one place. Jesus had told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. He was looking for those who were willing to follow his words. Waiting, as they were doing, can be a difficult thing to do. It can feel like inactivity. Nevertheless, they obeyed Jesus' word. See, God desires willing partners. Jesus told a parable, didn't he, about two sons whose father told the first son to go and work in the vineyard. But he refused. But later he changed his mind. The other, son said, the other son said, yes, I will go and work in the vineyard, but he didn't. Do I find myself sometimes like the second son? I want to do what I want to do. I want to be in control. God desires willing partners. There's an occasion in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah was contesting with the false prophets of Baal. He challenged the people, and I love the way the Revised Standard Version puts it. He he challenged them and he said, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? Sometimes they were following God, sometimes they want to follow Baal. Foot in one camp, foot in the other camp. How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Who are you following? Who has the main voice in your life? What has the main influence in your life? Is it your friends? Is it what they think of you and what they say? Is that the most influential thing in your life? Is it family? Is it the society? The values of the society that we live in. Does that have the most influence in your life? Who has the most influence in your life? Who are you following? Sometimes I think we feel that having God in control of our lives means that we leave the important decisions of life to him. Now that's a very interesting thought for a start. Because how do you classify what a very important decision is on a scale of 1 to 10? What becomes a 10? What's a 9? When does a 7 become an 8? When does a 6 become a 7? Sometimes I think we, well, well, I'm going to leave the very important decisions to God. That's, you know, I'm, I'm releasing control so that God can decide for me. Well, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and I have to say, I don't see it like that. I think I learned a very important lesson when I was a young Christian. Uh, Joy and I were on the cusp of getting married, and we wanted to find a house to live in. And So we were praying about it, We're asking the Lord, where should we live? Which is a reasonable thing to ask, I guess. And so we did another thing, which I think was quite reasonable. We went to see one of the leaders of the church whose opinion we really respected. And I think we went there thinking he's going to say something like, thus says the Lord, you should be living in place A. So we went along and he said something which shocked us, utterly amazed us, totally unexpected. We thought this is not relevant, irrelevant, what he's saying to us. And we left feeling very disappointed. And I went back to Joy's parents and we told them what the, the elder had said. And this is what the elder said. He said, well, what do you want to do? And I thought, well, surely that's irrelevant. What do I want to do? I want to do what God wants to do. But I think I learned a very important lesson there. That As we seek for us the kingdom, then then God does guide us and he puts desires in our hearts. And he, he does influence our thinking and the decisions that we make. I think that sometimes we feel that we want God to make the decisions on our behalf. Whereas I often find that the Lord gives us choices. Acts 2 verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them. Mary Berry, I don't know if anybody has watched any of Mary Berry's programs. Mary Berry the cook, she does baking, she does all sorts of things. She lives, I don't know if she's moved now, but she used to live fairly locally in Penn. Mary Berry could enable you to make a cake. I think that's fair to say. She is an expert. She knows a good cake when she tastes it. She can feel it. She can see it. She can smell it. And she's an expert. Now, Mary Berry, I'm sure, could enable you, even you, and even me, to make a cake. Provide all the ingredients. Give you a recipe. Talk you through it. But you're the one who's got to put the flour in the bowl. You're the one who's got to crack the eggs. You're the one who's got to add milk and so on. It's a bit like speaking in tongues. This unknown language that God gives. And in the past sometimes I've been praying for people. That they might receive this gift from the Holy Spirit. Receive the gift of tongues. And sometimes the person waits. Which is fine. But sometimes I think they're waiting for God somehow to... I don't make them do it. No, no, the Spirit enables. But who's the one who's got to do this speaking? It's my tongue that's got to move if I want to receive the gift. I haven't made robots, but sons and daughters who will partner with me is the Lord's philosophy, I'm sure. God desires willing partners. He doesn't want us to be robots who simply are programmed to do what he wants, but willing partners. If I lack wisdom, for example, what am I to do? I want to ask for it. I wonder, are you in a difficult situation? We are not sure what to do. Have you abdicated the decision to the Lord? Sometimes I think even experienced Christians, in my opinion... They abdicate decisions to the Lord, just sort of waiting for the Lord as if he's going to stick his hand out of the sky and write on the wall. Ask me for wisdom, the Lord would say, and trust I'll give it to you. And that will be your guide through it. Wisdom may mean seeking the counsel of those who have a good track record in the kingdom. God is not out to control us, critically observing our every move, ready to put another black mark in his book, micromanaging us so we don't put a foot wrong, and if we do, we get a swift heavenly rebuke. God's not into that business. God desires willing partners. I remember many years ago, and I think it was with Pete down here. I think we went to see this couple, and uh, I uh, was trying to make some polite conversation with the wife, and she was pregnant. And I happened to say to her, Oh, have you got any names for, that you thought of for the child? And she said to me, the Lord hasn't told me yet. And I must admit, 40 years later or however much later, I still think that is odd. I think that is very strange. As if God is in the business of micromanaging us, what toothpaste shall I buy, Lord? What socks shall I put on today? Is God in the business of micromanaging us and woe betide us if you get it wrong? Well, maybe I'll put a a blue sock on and a black sock as well. Then I'll be covering both bases just in case I get it wrong. It's absurd, isn't it? God's not in the business of micromanaging us. He wants willing partners. And he gives the Holy Spirit as well. He's not out to control you, but he's out to bring you to a place of freedom. And we have both God's word to guide us. And there's a huge amount of wisdom in the word of God to guide us. Seek first the kingdom of God and what he requires of you. And the things that you worry about in life, they will be added to you. I'm paraphrasing here. And the Holy Spirit comes as well. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And the Holy Spirit comes. Suddenly, in verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. How many? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. How many? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. We began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Not just one or two not just a few special people, not just those who stand on the stage on a Sunday morning, not just the leaders, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Last week in Hazelmere, up at our site in Hazelmere, there was a young woman who I happen to know very well. She was standing at at the back of the auditorium and during the worship... Nobody prayed for her. She was just baptized with the Holy Spirit. And she began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled her. Amazing. The Lord is still at work today. The thing about the wind of the Spirit is the fact that we can't control it. The Holy Spirit is not under our control. But we are to be under his. But as partners. Partners. Not mere robots. Sometimes though we want to control the Holy Spirit. We want to control God. We want to control what he does. We want to control the way in which he does things. We want to control his timing. It's just something within us that rises up to that. We sometimes want him to work according to how we think he should. You need to be working in my time frame, Lord. Why are you not working within my time frame? I prayed for that person last week and nothing's happened. We want to, it's as if we want to control him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the people of Jesus' own town, they wouldn't accept the way God did things. They wouldn't accept the package that God came in. The word made flesh. They rejected the package that God came in. If we are not careful, we can do the same. Exactly the same. Verse 12 and 13, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They're drunk. In other words, what happened was the Spirit of God came. There was a reaction in the disciples. They burst out of the upper room where they were into the street. Full, I would expect, of joy and even hilarity. And began to speak in languages that they'd never learned, but was enabled by the Holy Spirit. And some people said, ah, they're drunk. They rejected God. They rejected what God was doing because they did not like the package that he came in. The packaging that God revealed himself through was totally unexpected. What about these days? Same kind of thing happened here at King's Church. 1994, 1995. Not only at King's here, but in different places in the world. There was a coming of the Holy Spirit. There was a time of refreshment that came from the Holy Spirit. And it was characterized often by laughter. People would just start laughing at silly things. Or just laughing so filled with joy. And it happened to me on more than one occasion. It happened to me on so many occasions I can't remember. But I do remember this. I remember that I would be sitting on a chair. And I would just be filled with the joy of the Lord. Filled, 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 filled. And I would start laughing. And thoughts would go through my head of sometimes just the greatness of God. He's invincible. The devil can do what he may. But there's no way he could ever, ever touch the glory, the transcendency, the beauty, the awesomeness, the splendor, the wonder of almighty God. And Jesus' triumph. He is on the throne. Nobody's ever going to remove him. And that's filled me with such a great sense of joy. And I would laugh. And I would laugh and I would laugh. I would laugh so much that I'd fall off the chair. And it didn't just happen in meetings, it happened at home. I remember once I was reading uh, one of our kids a bedtime story, and I don't know what set me off, but I just started laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And I fell off the bed onto the floor. And the kids, sometimes they would come home from school and I'd be lying on the floor at home, just full of laughter. But I was never, ever out of control. You might have seen me and said, oh, that guy's drunk, he's, he's off his head. I was never out of control. I was never taken over. All I did was simply this. I yielded to the package that God wanted to come in. I yielded to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in my life at that time. The Apostle Paul says this, do not quench the Spirit. Do you quench the Spirit? Do I quench the Spirit? It can be ever so subtle, just a little thing, and we quench the Spirit. I can remember in the early days of being a Christian that I was in the meeting and I wanted to raise my hands as part of the worship. It seems just easy now, doesn't it, in these days. But at that time it was, I just wanted to do it and yet I didn't. Didn't want to make a fool of myself, and I didn't want to do anything embarrassing, and I just felt, I want to raise my hands to the Lord. I really do. And then the time came. <laughs> Freedom. Freedom to do it. Sometimes it can even just be those little things that can unlock big doors. Sometimes we quench the spirit Because we don't want to kind of respond to what he's seeking to do. Something within us. Do not quench the spirit. Many many at Jesus' time were offended by the packaging that the word came in. We can get offended by the packing the Holy Spirit sometimes comes in. But how sad to potentially quench the Holy Spirit. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. We want to yield to him. God desires willing partners. Second thing I want to say is this. God did not create us for servitude, but for love. God did not create us for servitude, but for love. I, as I was thinking about this, I love this quote from the book Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg, where he writes this. He's one of the founders of 24-7 prayer. The Lord's purposes are contingent, i.e. dependent, upon our prayers because he has chosen to work in partnership with our free wills. Notice that word, partnership. He has not made us automatons programmed to do his bidding. He is love. And love liberates. Love trusts. Love risks. Love collaborates. It does not coerce, dominate, control, or enslave. I've been so caught up with this idea that God wants to partner with us. Amazing example of partnership with God and Abraham. God is going to destroy two wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, well, I'm I going to hide this from Abraham, what I'm going to do. But he doesn't. He reveals to Abraham his plans. And Abraham then becomes involved in partnership with God. And Abraham then begins to intercede for the city. It's incredible. There's partnership going on. The Lord doesn't want to micromanage us. But he wants us to be willing partners. When God created man and woman and put them in the Garden of Edom... He told Adam to name the animals. Now just picture the scene here. God has made the animals. He's made the creatures. Both great and small. And he says to Adam, write Adam, name them. So here comes one up to Adam. And Adam notices it's got very big ears. It's got two big white tusks sticking out of it. It's got a trunk and it's built like a wall. So he looks at this creature. And he says, okay, Lord. I need some help here. Um, could you just give me the first letter? That would be really helpful. Actually, the last, maybe the middle one as well, just to help me out. I'm just, okay, I'm waiting on the Lord now. I'm waiting on the Lord. And the Lord says, actually, you name it. I've made it. You name it. Sometimes I think we feel the Lord wants to micromanage us. I don't think he's interesting in micromanaging you. He wants you to be a partner with him. If we say that we're sons and daughters, and we sing about being sons and daughters, I don't want my children coming up to me saying, Dad, I've got five pounds. You know, they're 35 years old. You know, what newspaper shall I buy? Well, look. Hello? It'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? And yet we sing God is our father. We sang this morning. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. It's so true. God doesn't want to micromanage us. God gave amazing freedom and only one prohibition in the Garden of Eden. You imagine that God's made the whole world filled and he says to Adam and Eve, Now, go forth into the world. It's all yours. I've given you dominion. You can rule the world. Populate it. With your children and their children and their children. You're going to have dominion over this amazing planet that I have created. Go and have dominion. Just don't do one thing. There's only one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat from that tree. The rest, yes, freedom. Go and enjoy it. Explore. Climb the mountains. Go down into the valleys. Swim the rivers. Eat the fruit. Plant. Build cities. Just don't eat from that tree. Now, this is a very mysterious and powerful tree that God has put in the garden, the tree of life. And yet, isn't it strange, don't you think, that God didn't do a health and safety assessment? I think we would have. A health and a safety assessment on the tree. Perhaps... And he didn't say, okay, let's just put some do not touch this tree signs around it. And maybe let's just put some alarms. Let's have some CCTV so that we can monitor who's approaching the tree. Maybe we need to put up some barbed wire as well just to make it even more difficult for those who want to take the fruit to get in. He doesn't do any of that. No blue lights flashing as Eve approaches the tree. Eve doesn't get tasered as she reaches out for the fruit. What a risk. What a risk to put such a powerful tree in such an accessible, unmonitored, uncontrolled place. But the point is this. Love cannot grow in the absence of choices. Love cannot grow in the absence of choices. God did not create us for servitude, but for love. Control can never produce freedom, but diminishes our capacity to love. The most powerful choice you can make is to love God and to love other people. Which are the greatest commandments, Jesus was asked? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because it's liberating. It brings you to a place of freedom. It takes the focus off self and puts the focus on others. And it's a beautiful thing to do. Why? Why? Why is it so beautiful? Because it reflects the very nature of God himself. We see it in Jesus as he walked and talked on planet earth. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as he loved himself. Whoever, who walked in freedom was Jesus. Even the psalm writer David in Psalm 119 says, I will walk in freedom because I have kept your commandments. In the last days, in verse 17 of the passage, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, for those of you who are fairly long in the tooth and have been coming to this church for as long as I have, or even longer, you will remember that this church used to be called Thank you. Yeah. Living waters. It was called living waters. Why? Well, Jesus talked about living waters, didn't he? When he talked about living waters, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And so the church used to be called living waters because the presence and power of the Spirit was being rediscovered. We want to be a people who are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. For some of us, it may well mean letting go of our desire to be in control. You may have to let go of your desire to be in control. You might have to let go of your desire to see the Holy Spirit work in the way that you want him to. He may want to do something completely different. Jesus worked in partnership with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He did it willingly. John 10 verse 18. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up. Willingly. And because Jesus was willing and didn't take back control of his life but submitted to the will of the Father, we have new life. We have new possibilities as we walk in partnership with him. I want to ask you a few questions as I close now. Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you concerned about what might happen if you do, that you might lose control? I say, don't be. There's never been a point in my 40-odd years of being a Christian where I felt the Holy Spirit's made me lose control. Far from it. The Holy Spirit only does good things. It's when I resist him that I get into problems. But when I yield to him, I find I have life. And life in all its fullness. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's your inheritance to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to ask another question. Are there areas of your life where you need to yield to the Holy Spirit? God wants us to enter into a place of freedom as we partnership with him. He's not interested in micromanaging you, but desires that your appreciation of his love for you grows as you choose him on a daily basis. Let's be open right now. We've got some time in a moment as the band are going to come up. We've got time for us just to reflect for a moment and say, well, where am I? Am am I resisting other areas? Am I yielding to the Holy Spirit? Am I afraid of what might happen to me if I let the Holy Spirit just come into my life in His fullness? Are you afraid that something? Don't be. God is love. And God wants to bring us to a place of freedom and delight in Him. So if Rich and the band could come up, that would be really helpful. So Father, we pray, pray in the name of Jesus that we would just be open to the coming of the Holy Spirit again. I know, Father, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. I want to be touched by the Holy Spirit. I want in the deep places of my life for your Spirit to be at work because you bring light. You don't bring darkness. You don't bring fear. You bring freedom. You bring life. So Father, help us today. Fill us afresh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.